Hey, turn in your Bibles to the book of Ephesians. And let me ask you a question. Um, have you ever have you ever committed the uh, the party foul known as uh, well, depending on what country you're in, like in America, we call it the Irish goodbye. In Europe, they call it the French leave. Um, this is where you're at a party or a social gathering, and you don't say bye to anybody. You just bounce. <laughs> right? Like our kids call this ghosting. Um, have you ever done that? Yeah, y'all did it last Sunday at church. Uh, not all of you. Uh, this is like the thing that we do, right? Like I was at a party last night. I was at a birthday party for a 16-year-old girl, uh, one, of, one of our uh, awesome young people in the church. We got invited to her, her party, and um, it meant I was tired, and I wanted to leave. And it was everything in me to be like, bye, everybody. It's been nice to see you, uh, to, to talk to some folks, and to wave, and to hug, and there's, there's a certain point where I get, like, tell me if you're like this. Maybe you're like me. When you get to your social, I'm an extrovert. I'm a massive extrovert, but even I will get to a point where I go, I don't want to hug you. I don't want to talk to you. It doesn't mean I don't love you. I love you so much right now, but I'm actually loving you a lot just by leaving, right? <laughs> Is, am I, I'm, I know I'm not the only one. I know I'm not the only one. And you introverts, we see you. We love you. Even when we don't see you anymore, like where did they go? We still love you. Uh, but you know, I just want to, on behalf of the people who have, who have, who who love it, who love a goodbye, and sometimes I love a good goodbye. I, I love sometimes I love the goodbye that starts here and and kind of moseys here and and ends up in the church parking lot and and turns into lunch plans and you know and then you go over to their house for dinner and uh, that's the goodbye. Like sometimes I just love a an hours long goodbye. Um. On behalf of the people who love the long goodbyes, a quick, sudden goodbye can be rough, right? Like it can feel a little bit like I was thinking about this this week. It can feel a little bit like when I was watching the second Matrix movie. I'm still, I'm still a little hot about this. Um, and it had ramped up and... Or maybe you like you just saw the most recent uh, Spider-Man into the Spider or across the Spider-Verse movie. Like it ramps up, and I'm looking at my clock, going, "This movie's been too long to have this much ramp up happening right now. This is not going to resolve." And I started feeling away. And the first time I ever experienced this in movie theater was when I was watching the Matrix, the second Matrix movie, because it ramps up to this crescendo and this tense moment and this epic, and then it just cuts to black, and the credits roll, and I out loud in the movie theater went, what? Because I knew I had to wait a year of my life until I got to see the second half of that scene that you just started. I was so upset. And I'm saying all this to say today as we're ending our study in the book of Ephesians that I'm really thankful that Paul didn't not end his letter. Because he said a lot. He said a ton of stuff. And if he doesn't land this plane well, I'm going to feel a way. Right? Like he just told me how to 
be a husband. Paul, you don't get to tell me how to be a husband and then just dip on me. Right? You need to end this well. And Paul, I have to tell you, he is like the king of conclusions. He does this so well. And I'm, and I'm telling you all of this because today we're going to dig into a passage that if, if you're just reading through, it's one of those sections of verses that your brain can kind of trick you into skipping over or skimming through or rushing through because it's just a gre- it's just a, some guy's name that I'm not sure how to pronounce and, and a couple of words. It's just a farewell. But I, I want you to slow down with me in the, in the farewell, in the conclusion, and I dare you not to get something out of the way Paul wraps up the letter to the church in Ephesus today. So God, we thank you that Paul did not just dip on the end of this letter, but that he said something that, that is important, that is a blessing to the church, and that can be a blessing to us even today. So Lord, we open our hearts to hear from you as we dig into your word, and we ask by your Holy Spirit that you would speak through me as I preach this last message in our series through the book of Ephesians, and that these words would live on in our hearts and in the way we live. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Okay, well, now, um, if we're going to talk about the end of the letter, I think we probably need to back up just a little bit and, and make sure we remember what Paul has actually said, right? So can, can you give me just a couple of minutes? Can you give me? Give me just, I'm going to take a couple of minutes, um, and I'm going to just do a quick run through of who Paul has written to and some of the things that he has said. Now, this is a, a, a letter. It was originally written as a letter to a community, not as a book with chapters and verses. Those were put in later, but they're very helpful for us. So as we read Ephesians, we know that this is a, a letter, but we read it as a book with six chapters, and this book is uh, split up into two parts. But uh, let's talk about the context for a second. Paul begins this letter by saying, uh, Paul, the apostle in Christ Jesus, he says, to the faithful saints in Christ Jesus at Ephesus. That's Ephesians chapter 1, verse 1. Now, Ephesus was a pretty interesting place, and uh, if you haven't heard this breakdown of what Ephesus was about yet, then this will be some good and helpful and new information for you, but if not, then this will be a helpful review for you of what this city was like and why this is relevant to us. You see, Ephesus was an influential port city. Uh, It was called the mother city of all of Asia, and it had a global reach, and it was influenced by the nations of the known world at the time. There was about a population in Ephesus at the time that Paul wrote this letter to to the the believers in Ephesus, the population of Ephesus was between 200,000 to 250,000 people, which is a little bit smaller than the current population of the city of Lancaster, where we are right now, Uh, which might not seem that large because you kind of think Lancaster is like this tiny little place in California. But in those days, it was actually one of the largest cities in the world. So incredibly influential city, and it was a large community of people. Ephesus was the home to the Temple of Diana, also known as the Temple of Artemis, which is one of the seven wonders of the ancient world, It was, which is actually referenced in Acts chapter 18 when Paul had a run-in with an idol maker. It got him in a little bit of trouble. Uh, spoiler, Jesus wins. Uh, Ephesus was heavily influenced by uh, the function and the, and the 
uh, idolatrous worship that was happening in the Temple of Artemis, but not only just there in the Temple of Artemis, but there were multiple kinds of pagan religions and, and worship of false gods that were happening in Ephesus. And it was known as a place influenced by magic and sorcery. Uh, so, so Paul actually in this vein, later on in the letter, he uses words like principalities and uh, words like dominion in the letter because these are words that the people of Ephesus would have been very familiar with. So he's speaking to them uh, in a language that they would have understood. Now, Paul understood that Ephesus was a strategically important city. Remember, it's a port city. So just like you know, like if you want to start a business and you want that business to grow and have an influence around the world, you want to be attached to a place where you can import and export. If you want your city to to be influential, you need good import and export happening. So Paul does the math, and he figures out that just like uh, goods and services are being imported and exported, and that's one of the reasons Ephesus was so influential, he knew if I can get a strong church with sound doctrine in the city of Ephesus, if I can import the gospel well into Ephesus, then it will be exported out to the rest of the world. And that's actually exactly what happens. Because the city in Ephesus had a strong Christian church with sound doctrine, the rest of the world around it was strongly influenced by the people who lived there and were sent out from there, uh, one, of whom, one of those people actually we'll talk about a little bit today. Uh, and all of this because Paul knows that it is very, very important that he strengthens the church in Ephesus. This is why at the beginning of this letter he says, I'm writing to the faithful saints at Ephesus. Now, let's, let's break down some of those words, and I promise you all of this is going to be very helpful for our understanding of reading the end of this letter today. Uh, the word saints means ones who are set apart or holy or sacred. These are people who have been set apart by God from the rest of the world, sanctified by Jesus. The word faithful that Paul uses here means that these are people who are to be trustworthy and reliable Faithfulness is rooted in the word faith, which means that they are people who trust and rely on God. The idea of a faithful saint is a person living in a world full of distractions and all kinds of stuff, pulling on attention and pulling on your love. And Paul is saying, I'm writing to the people who are living in that world, pulling on your attention, pulling on your focus, pulling on your desires, pulling on your love. You remain faithful to Jesus. If that's you, He's writing to you, and through, down through all of the years, we can say Paul is still writing to us. Paul is writing to people who have allowed Jesus to radically change their lives. And in the middle of a world that pulls on all of your attention and desires and focus, he is writing to people who not only had Jesus change their lives once, but who hold on to their faith in Jesus through it all. So he's writing to us. Today, in Lancaster, California, in 2023. He's writing to you and me. Just look at your neighbor and say, he's writing to you. Doesn't it feel good to just tell somebody at church? The Bible's about you, man. Okay. So, when, when you read to the faithful saints in Christ Jesus at Ephesus, you could very easily, and I, I think God and, and, and Paul wouldn't have known that Lancaster, California would have ever existed, but I think God certainly would have hoped that you would read to the faithful saints at, at, in Christ Jesus at the Antelope Valley. 
And if you want to know why, he, why we are emphasizing that phrase at Ephesus or at the Antelope Valley, go, go back like two years when we started going through the book of Ephesians. Listen to Sermon 1. We broke all that down. It's actually pretty significant. But this letter is designed to encourage your faith in a world pulling on your affections. And in order to do that, this letter is split into two parts. And Paul spends the first half of this letter explaining we could say at least three things. He explains the mysteries and powerful work of Jesus to change and save lives, calling people from death to life and bringing those people who are far from God to, to be near to God. Paul explains how he has a heart for followers of Jesus to live at peace with God and with other people. Uh, and he actually in, at two different moments, stops to pray for the readers and for the people in Ephesus and pray ultimately for us as well. And we see thirdly that Paul explains some initial thoughts on how followers of Jesus ought to live as citizens of heaven. In other words, uh, know who you are in Christ, and he begins to imply that, the way, that who you are in Christ should affect the way that you live. It's not just about what you believe, it's about what, what you believe m makes you do as a person. Or in other words, what you believe should change the way you live. Ultimately, this is this first half of the book of Ephesians is foundational. It is a it's a foundational section that's interested in doctrine uh, that results in saving faith in Jesus. So you might be able to sum up the first three chapters of Ephesus as Paul writing to the faithful Christians in a world pulling on their attention to remind them of just how amazing it is to be counted in the body of Christ. And that's just the first half of the book. It took us like four months to get through that. I did it in three minutes. You're welcome. Okay. Then he goes on. Actually, Paul kind of pivots here uh, to talking about the unity and the building up of the church. Uh, and, and he does this by emphasizing the five ministry gifts that are meant to be used to build up and unify us as believers. He talks about apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers. There's a whole sermon about that that we did. Uh, he, he calls out our old ways of living in darkness, and he challenges us, challenges us to reject sin and live in the light of Jesus. Paul encourages us to take life seriously and to be wise, being aware of the broken, sinful world around us and also the broken, sinful desires within us as we turn those over to Christ and find that we are sanctified by our relationship, living in the light with Jesus. And then he, he, Paul even offers strong advice for our relationships. I, I was joking a few minutes ago, but Paul very seriously talks to us about husbands and wives' relationships, about children and parents' relationships, and master and servant relationships, all of which are not just about those relationships. They're actually pointing to the church's relationship to Jesus. And so we learn a lot about what it means for us to live as Christians in the body of Christ as we study this second half of the book of Ephesians. So the purpose of all of this is to lay a solid foundation of strong Christian doctrine and then teach us how to live in the kingdom which that doctrine invites us into. In other words, what does it mean to be a Christian and what does it look like to be a Christian? In the church, not alone, not isolated, but in the context of community. Whew. Now, after all of that, Paul begins to land the plane. Like a good preacher, he uses the word finally and then goes on for like the second half of the entire chapter uh, uh, six. Uh, so he uses many, many words after using the word finally. And since we are landing the plane today, I thought it would be a good idea if we back all the way up 
to chapter 6, verse 10, and read from there until we get to uh, the end of the book. It's 14 verses worth every second uh, as we listen to the way Paul wraps up this letter to the Christians in Ephesus. He says, finally, be strengthened in the Lord and by his vast strength. Put on the full armor of God so that you can stand against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this darkness, against evil spiritual forces in the heavens. For this reason, take up the full armor of God so that you may be able to resist in the evil day and having prepared everything to take your stand. Stand, therefore, with truth like a belt around your waist, righteousness like armor on your chest, and your feet sandaled with readiness for the gospel of peace. In every situation, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Pray at all times in the Spirit with every prayer and request, and stay alert with all perseverance and intercession for all the saints. Pray also for me, that the message may be given to me when I open my mouth to make known with boldness the mystery of the gospel. For this I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I might be bold enough to speak about it as I should. And here's how Paul concludes. Tychicus, or Tychicus, or probably both of those are wrong. But I'm going to call him Tychicus today. Um, Our dearly loved brother and faithful servant in the Lord will tell you all the news about me so that you may be informed. I am sending him to you for this very reason, to let you know how we are and to encourage your hearts. Peace to the brothers and sisters and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all who have undying love for our Lord Jesus Christ. Christ. So Paul tells us as he wraps up, put on the full armor of God, pray about everything all the time in the spirit, pray for me, pray for your brothers and sisters in Christ, pray for the church, pray that the message is preached well, don't stop, pray, like just pray, put on the armor, stand and pray. And then he talks about a friend of his and he blesses. And so today, as we wrap up our study in the book of Ephesians, I want to talk to you about the bearer of the message and the blessing that Paul sends. We'll start talking about the bearer of the message uh, first. Paul points points to this man named, who we will today call Tychicus. Uh, As he wraps up this message, he specifically calls him our dearly loved brother, implying that both Paul and the Christians in Ephesus knew and loved him. Uh, what we know about Tychicus is that, or Tychicus, I'm going to probably just switch that, or we'll just call him Ty. What we know about Ty is that uh, he actually grew up in Ephesus, and he met Paul uh, while he was on one of his ministry uh, missionary trips. Uh, he's, he's also referred to as a faithful servant. Remember what Paul says, who he's writing to in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 1? To the faithful to the faithful. So, so Paul's actually saying, hey, I've got one of you hanging out with me. 
right? I, he calls him a faithful servant. He's pointing to this history that, that Paul and Ty have together. He's actually mentioned five different times in the New Testament in Acts chapter 20, Colossians 4, 2 Timothy 4, Titus 3, and then here in Ephesians 6. We see multiple times that Tychicus is sent with a message or that he's a reliable, faithful servant of the ministry. Now, uh, Tychicus was a student of Paul's. He was somebody who was being discipled by Paul and trained and raised up. And Paul recognized ministry gifts and abilities and, and talents for the kingdom that were God-given, uh, he recognized those in this, in this person that he was training up. And so he eventually became a partner and a helper in Paul's ministry. Now, one of the things that we haven't said during this study through the book of Ephesians is that while Paul is writing this, he's actually in prison. Which is why Paul doesn't show up and just say all of this stuff in the room to the Christians in Ephesus. He's writing from captivity, and he sends Tychicus with a letter of encouragement and information and some doctrine and some teaching for sound living. And then furthermore, also that word servant is, is the Greek word that we would translate into a word that you might have heard in the church. Uh, the word would be deacon. Now, we don't use that word here at Life Church, but you, uh, we don't knock anyone who does use the word deacon, uh, but we see the function here at Life Church of the deacon. The deacon is the person who is called to ministry leadership of service. Uh, this is the, the person who's called to ministry leadership of practical ministry. Uh, so there's, there's elders and deacons in churches, and the deacons are, are very often the people who, like if you remember in Acts when the apostles said, hey, we need some people who can serve these tables because we need to make sure that we're praying and studying the word. Uh, it was, that was the formation of a deacon team uh, for the early church. And so Tychicus is actually recognized as one of these deacon-type people to the church. What does that mean? He's probably administratively minded. He's probably good at team building and team leadership. He's most likely a good teacher and a good encourager. And we would, we would surmise all of these things based on the way Paul talks about him throughout all of the different times we see him uh, referenced in the New Testament and the fact that he was sent with this letter to the people in Ephesus. Now, imagine, if, if you would, for a second, that I wasn't the person who wrote the sermon I'm preaching to you right now, that the apostle of the Foursquare Church wrote it and emailed it to me and said, stand up and, and read this to Life Church, to the church at Lancaster uh, today. And I, so I would stand up and I would, I would say, uh, hey, I just want you to know this is what the letter says. And then because I know the person who wrote the letter really, really well, in fact, he mentored me, uh, I'm able to communicate. There's this one line in here that might be a little bit confusing. Let me just unpack that for you. Here's what he meant by that. Or do you have any questions? You guys would ask some questions. They'd go, oh, yeah, this is what God is actually saying to us right now through the letter, inspired by God, given to us, to the, apo to the apostle, through us. Thank God for email. And, uh, and, and, and we, can, we can talk about what we are learning today. That would be the function that, that he is sent to the the people in Ephesus to do. Does this make sense? This is what uh, Tychicus was sent by Paul to do. This is why he calls him a beloved brother and a faithful servant. In fact, many scholars believe that Tychicus also had at least two other letters with him on this trip and that he was not traveling alone. 
we believe that he had the letter to the church or the Christians in Colossae, which we would now know as the letter of Colossians or the book of Colossians. Um, those two cities are about 100 miles apart, uh, Ephesus and Colossians. Uh, so we believe that, that he would have come from Rome. Most people think that he went from Rome to Colossae first because of the other letter that he had with him. He had a letter uh, not only just to Colossae, but a letter called Philemon. Now, Philemon's not written to a city. It's written to a guy named Philemon, which if you're having a baby, that name is totally available. Uh, don't know any Philemons out there. Um, Philemon was a guy who had a servant, and that servant ran away. He was, he was a slave, and he ran away. He escaped captivity. And he found his way into the ranks of the Apostle Paul. Paul was probably leaving Colossae at some point, and, and Onesimus, the servant, was like, this is my chance. I'm going to go like stowaway in Paul's uh, crew. And then Paul, actually, whether he got led to the Lord while he was hanging out with Paul or he met Jesus before, we don't actually really know. There's not a whole lot. There's sort of some conjecture about what was, what was likely happening. There's a couple different possible scenarios, but here's what we know, is that Onesimus has uh, clearly become a disciple of Jesus. And Paul says, I'm going to write this letter to Philemon, Onesimus, you ditched, you can't, that's not cool, you got to go make it right, I'm sending you back. But don't worry, I'm writing a letter to Philemon so that you will be received back as a brother in Christ and not be abused when you return home. There's a ton of other stuff there. We're not going to get bogged down because this is a study about the book of Ephesians. What I want you to understand is just how trusted do you think this guy Tychicus was when there's no email, there's no Instagram live, he can't make a YouTube video about this, and he can't quickly like publish a book through you know the WordPress that hasn't been invented for generations yet. He's just got to find someone he can trust and say, I'm writing a bunch of stuff down. You understand my heart and you know the Lord, so I'm sending you with this letter so that these people will understand what I'm writing. And he goes around to Colossae, he goes around to Ephesus, he delivers the letters, and his job was to make sure these people understood what Paul was talking about. More importantly, he was, his job was to make sure these people understood what God was saying to the church in Ephesus. What we love about this is actually we know that this letter actually got passed around even beyond Ephesus and even so far as to the point where we're studying it today in Lancaster. So Paul points to this responsibility that Tychicus, uh, Tychicus had in Ephesus. He, he says, I'm sending you for this reason to let you know how we are doing and to encourage your hearts. He's saying, you're probably wondering how I'm doing while I'm sitting in Rome. I just wanted you to, I, I wanted you to see the face of someone who was with me recently. Here's an update. And by the way, be encouraged. So this guy is incredibly important. Now, all of this could just feel like I gave you a lecture that's just going to leave your brain as soon as you go to lunch today, and there's a ton of stuff there, and I get that. And if you forget what this guy's name was in about 15 minutes after the sermon is over, that's all right. I just want you to capture this idea. This is more than information. I think that there's something inspiring in this. I think that Tychicus was, was not just a student of Paul but that he was a submitted partner in his ministry. That he was faithful and trustworthy, so much so that Paul sent him with letters to teach and encourage. 
And so the question for us as we, we think, why are these random names in Paul's letters? What is the point of that? Why would, why would a pastor spend this much time talking about one name of a person who doesn't seem to have written anything that was inspired by God? And you know, We don't think he planted a church or anything like Why are we talking about this guy? I think at the very least so that we can ask questions like, Am I intentionally submitted like Tychicus was to partner with the work of God in the local and global church? It's kind of incredible that the New Testament names that we know aren't just the celebrities, but there's a Tychicus whose church you don't know anything about. But he gets named in the New Testament as a faithful servant and a beloved brother. And I wonder if maybe we could ask the question, Holy Spirit, could you inspire me to partner with what you're doing in my local church and in my community and in the global church around me so that maybe someone would say of me, they are also a beloved brother or sister who is faithful and trustworthy in their service to the work of God in the world. Like, we should be inspired by, by Tychicus. And, and then I, I wonder if we could also say, am I willing to bring the message of the church and the world as an encourager? And if I could step on your toes for just a minute in, in a teaching as we're wrapping up a book, I, I wonder if I could say to you that it, it feels a little bit like very often in the American church, what we decide to do with the message is to come and hear it. And Tychicus reminds us that we are not all, like, you're not Paul. You're not one of the main apostles of the New Testament. You didn't write 13 books in the New Testament. And you won't. Like, that's sealed up. That's done. Like, you're not going to write a book that's that good. But you could be a Tychicus. You could be a sent one. And I wonder if there needs to be something challenged in our, in our minds and in our hearts about the way we come to church, that we don't come to church just so that God could bless me and fill me up. And I hope that when you come, you're blessed and you feel filled up in your spirit. But what if you also come to church so that you can receive something that you're then committed to give away? Because I don't work where you work. And I don't live where you work. And I, uh, my kids are not your kids, and my spouse is not your spouse. My, my close circle of friends that I am, am discipling and being discipled by, and like, it's, we have, you understand, like, we have different groups of people that we're all connected to. Imagine what this community would look like if every follower of Jesus in every church that preaches the Word of God in the Antelope Valley alone if every one of us took seriously this inspiration of a person like Tychicus and said, when I come to church to receive a message, I'm not just trying to be built up. I'm trying to be charged with something that I go and give away. And for every way that even in our own church we have molded and and kind of Uh, exemplified that being a Christian means you come sit, I come talk, you come listen, then you go, and that's what it means to be a good Christian, then I would just like to say I'm sorry, and over the future of the rest of this church, we're going to do everything we can to disrupt and disappoint that expectation. 
Because I'm not the minister here. I'm a minister here. Right? Like, I would love to invite you to join the team, but I can't invite you to join a team you're already on. So if anything, I'm the team captain who says, hey, guys, let's all get to work. Tychicus is a reminder that it's not just about the person who wrote the book or the person who preaches the sermon. It's about us having a message, knowing it well enough that we can go with the message. So do you know it? And will you bring it with you when you leave this place? Because if all you do is come and doesn't change your Monday to Saturday, then I would propose to you, as much as I love to see people in these seats, that that's a waste of your time. This is not, and, and I'll get dead serious for a second, this is not why Jesus died. You sitting and staring at me is not why Jesus died. Right? Jesus died because at one point you were lost and broken and far away from him, bound up by sin, living as darkness in the world. But by the blood and the broken body of Christ, you were set free and made alive. This is why Jesus died. This is the message you have. You don't need to hear a sermon on a Sunday to hear that. Sermons are good. They're very helpful. I love to teach them. Hopefully you love to hear them. Hopefully they encourage you, but hopefully they remind you more than anything else about the message that you already have in your heart. So I've got more to say, but if this was the last thing that I was going to say to you ever, it would be, don't just come to church. Be the church. Be Tychicus. Be the messenger. Go. Get out of here. Not right now. I've got more to say. But go with the message. Amen? God, help us to actually mean that. Paul ends with a blessing. If you have ever been to Life Church before today, you know we love to end with a blessing. And we didn't make that up. Neither did the churches and pastors that we were inspired to do that by. We were all inspired by people like Paul. Paul closes his letter with a simple blessing. I'll read it to you one more time. He says, peace to the brothers and sisters, love and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all who have undying love for our Lord Jesus Christ. I'll try to move through this relatively quickly, but I think this is important for you to understand. Peace is, the, is from the Greek word irene. Uh, it covers a lot. It covers salvation. It covers us having personal peace with God. Uh, it covers peace from warfare with our enemies, and it is a blessing that you get to have as much as it is a charge for the way that you live with others. You're supposed to have peace, and also if you have peace, you're expected to be a maker of it as well. The Jewish idea of peace is rooted in the Hebrew word for shalom, or the Hebrew word shalom. Shalom means uh, n that nothing is attacking and you are lacking nothing. It's total abs absence of any kind of need or any kind of enemy. Uh, it is the complete removal of, of lack and need. And, and Paul rooted this grace idea and this peace in Christ Jesus rather than from himself. He says, he says peace to you from Jesus, not from Paul, from 
Jesus. Paul knows he's not that good. Peace from Christ Jesus. And why does he do that? Because he knows peace is not just an emotion. It's not just a, oh, that made me feel nice that he said grace and peace at the end of the letter. Oh, it feels so good. It was a gift from the Lord. He was passing on something to you that he knows is not an emotion. It's a state of reality. It's it's an identity marker, a state of being. Like when Jesus is in the boat asleep and there's a storm, you can read about this in the Gospel of Mark in the fourth chapter, the disciples come to Jesus and they freak out, we're all going to die, and Jesus kind of wakes up, wipes the sleep out of his eyes, looks at the water which is raging and the storm which is blowing, and he says, peace be still, and immediately the the storm is calmed, and they look at each other freaking out because they're like, who is this guy? Well, he's God. The reason that Jesus was able to give peace is because he is the Prince of Peace. And the reason Paul is able to give peace as a blessing to the church in Ephesus is because he knows intimately the Prince of Peace and he has received peace from him. And remember, again, if you have peace, you get to be a peacemaker. So his blessing is, I am making peace in Ephesus by my blessing of peace. Right? So Paul writes about this as well in, in Colossians chapter 3, verse 15. He says, Let the peace of Christ to which you were also called in one body rule in your hearts. Say rule. Not hang out in. Rule in your hearts. Peace has its way. Peace is a state of being. It's, a, it's an identity in Christ. Peace should set the culture or it should rule in your heart. The same way that Jesus' peace ruled over the waters in Mark chapter 4. And peace is this powerful gift of God in Philippians chapter 4, starting in verse 6. It says, don't worry about anything. Easy for you to say. No, actually it really is if you know peace. If you know him. Don't worry about anything. But in everything, through prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to Facebook. God. God. Uh, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. I really don't have time to preach that as much as I want to. Uh, but essentially, the peace of God, which passes understanding, means you can be surrounded by circumstances that don't look peaceful and have peace that doesn't make sense according to your surroundings. Why? Because you know the Prince of Peace guards your heart. Why? If you bring all your requests to God, if you root your life in Him. So, uh, again, peace does not simply make us feel better, it guards our hearts. But to get this peace, then we, know the, we have to know the Prince of Peace. And then Paul, because he just loves a run-on sentence, uh, he, he adds on something which is wildly important. He says, peace with love and faith. Because you can't get love and faith just because you like clench your Christian muscles. You get love and faith because Jesus loved you first. Faith is a gift from God as you are called to life in the kingdom by Jesus himself. So peace with love and faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul intentionally links peace that guards our hearts with Christ's love and faith in him. 
It's as if Paul is saying, if you are a part of God's family, may your life be marked by peace, love, and faith, all of which are gifts from God the Father, which you receive as gifts from the Son, whose name is Jesus. And as if that's not enough of a Christmas present, he says grace. Grace be with all of you who have undying love for our Lord Jesus Christ. This is verse 24. The word that Paul uses here means it's a gift or a blessing, a, a, a blessing of kindness, or I love this, a blessing of favor. Like, you know how you don't have a favorite kid? I hope. But you love to make your kids feel like they're your favorite. I tell Hannah all the time. I walk into her room. I say goodnight to her. I go, hey, Hannah, don't tell your sister this. You're, you're my favorite. And then I walk right across the hall, Selah, hey, don't tell your sister this. You're my favorite. And they both go, I know, Daddy. I know. I won't tell. Yes, I will. Yes, I, yes, I will. I love it when a Christian just says, did you know I'm God's favorite? And I always go, me too. Isn't that great? This is what it means, that God would favor you. To favor somebody means I give you something just because I want to. Not because you deserved it. You didn't earn it. Right? I'm a professor at Bible college, and I'd be lying if I said I didn't have some favorite students. Some favorite students. I saw a, a meme this week that said, uh, if you're in college right now, and you're that kid who nods all the time, no matter what your teacher is saying, just know you're your teacher's favorite student. And I liked that so fast. It's true. When you're at church and your eyes are open the whole time, and when I say something that I thought was good and you go, yeah, you're my favorite. Oh, I love it so much. And I'm just like a fickle, self-centered human who loves to be made to feel good. We're talking about the God of the universe who is really not like moved to make decisions based on our ability to convince him of everything. He just makes decisions to favor us because he's so good and loves us so much and has actually designed a system that says if you play by these rules, which are so easy to play by, if you play by these rules, if you come into my family, you become one of my kids, oh, you're my favorite. And I know, I know, I know you suck at being perfect. I know. That's why I set up the system. So you could get into the house. You deserve, you don't, look, we know, we don't have to talk about it, but we know, we both know you deserve to live out there. But you're so much my favorite. You got the keys. And it's not just a house. It's a whole kingdom. And I'm your father. And it's my good pleasure to give you the kingdom. It's so good. He loves you so much. Paul says grace. Kindness and favor. Leaning in, looking for opportunities. To bless, to love. Who? All who have undying love for our Lord 
Jesus Christ. The original audience would have absolutely understood what Paul was implying here was a picture of God extending himself, leaning out over them, toward them, to a people that he chose because of his love with a desire to give them benefits and favor that they absolutely outright did not deserve, but his love for them and their willingness to submit to his plan for their salvation earned them, uh, purchased for them at the cost of the blood and body of Christ unmerited favor. This is grace. Grace is the gift that God gives us in response to our faith in Christ. Which is literally, by the way, the opposite of punishment. Right? The Bible says at one point, if you are afraid of punishment, (laughs) look, sweetheart, it's okay. It just means you don't understand God's love yet. That was my paraphrase, but that's basically what it says. It's the opposite of punishment. We deserve punishment, and when we do, which is like right now and tomorrow and the next day and the next day and like on your drive here this morning and probably when you leave the parking lot, God extends love and forgiveness to you, which means that grace is the power for us to live in freedom from punishment. This does not mean you have never failed. It means you go to God and you don't have to experience punishment or shame when you do. So ultimately, it's grace is the thing that gives us the ability to live free from sin itself. So it's as if Paul is saying, I bless you with the kind of life you would live if you were never again tempted to sin. I bless you to feel about and to see yourself the way Jesus feels about you. Not as unclean, but as washed by the love of God and made whole and right with God. He says, grace to you for everyone who lives in the undying love of God. And and, and by the way, before you think that that was a typo that God that, that, like, Paul threw that at the end and was like, ah, oh, yeah, I, I know that was redundant. I put it to the beginning. I'm like, meh. I did, couldn't think of a better way to end. I just want you to know, Paul wrote at least 13 books of the New Testament. Many of us think he probably also wrote Hebrews. And in all of those 13 books, he, he covers a lot of ground. And did you know that there is not a single one of those books written by the Apostle Paul where he doesn't use this phrase grace and peace for his audience. And he means it so much for the people in Ephesus who so very much represent who we are in the world. He means it so much that he didn't just say it one time passively. He put it at the beginning and the end of this letter. I wonder... I wonder if after everything that Paul has said to us, if he knew that it would be good for us to hear him say peace and grace with love and faith. It's it's almost as if he said, okay, now, Tychicus, here's here's what I want. We're going to get to the end, and then at the end, make sure they hear this. And, And I almost picture Paul going, have him take a good deep couple of breaths, because that was a lot. Like, Paul knows who he is. He knows he's a lot. 
It's almost as if he's offering us this important conclusion to say, I've said a ton to you right now. Take a few good deep breaths. Don't overthink this. Okay, don't be overwhelmed. I, I know there's all of this other stuff. We talked about how to raise your kids and how to be married and how to, how to live in the light. And there's these like five gifts that you have to figure out which one of those you've been given. And that's awesome and exciting, but can feel like a lot. And there's the whole like church culture thing. And there's all the doctrine and all the stuff you have to figure out while you're still living in Ephesus. Just breathe. Don't overthink it. You know, if you could wrap up how it looks to actually just live this out. Could I just bookend this whole thing by saying, you know what it looks like? It looks like receiving grace and peace from Jesus. And after I've said all of that, just breathe. It just, you know what it looks like? It looks like you go live out grace and peace in the Lord Jesus. It's, it's, it's a blessing, but it's also this other church term. It's a benediction. A benediction is like a charge, a challenge. It's that thing that they do at your high school or college graduation where they give you a, a charge, a, a benediction to go out and live this way. A benediction is not an ending. It's actually a beginning to a new kind of living. It's a new season you're going into. And so so we, we send you out. You've read all of this. Don't let it end here. Peace with love and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and grace to all of those who have undying love in the Lord Jesus Christ. So then, we must be people of peace and grace. It's not just a blessing that we should receive. It's a, it's a charge for the way that we should live. And, and I think if we were to try to land this with some questions about the way that we should live. I would ask you, what would your life be like if you truly received peace and grace from Jesus? I, I don't mean what would your life be like if you just keep coming to church on Sundays. Come, we have fun here. God does amazing things when we gather. That's important. Scripture tells us very clearly, don't stop gathering. In fact, the closer you get to the end, gather more. But what would it look like if this wasn't enough? What would it look like if you were so filled with the grace and peace of Jesus that it changed your Tuesday? What would happen? What would be different? How would you see yourself differently? How would you engage with God differently? What would change about your life if this was more than a letter or a sermon? What would change about your behavior the next time you feel tempted to sin? If you knew, I don't actually need to do that. What I need is to remind myself about the peace and grace I have in Christ. What would it look like for the people around you? The person you're sitting next to, the person sitting behind or in front of you, the, the person that you're thinking about at home who, who, who you live with, or the person you're thinking about at work who you work with, your neighbors, your friends, the people you come in contact with. How, how would grace and peace change the way you parent? How would grace and peace change the way you are a sibling or a or, or, or a spouse, or an employee, or a manager? How would it change your job? 
I mean, it's Labor Day tomorrow, right? <laughs> a holiday in designed for us to celebrate the workers, to honor them with a day off. You all go back to work on Tuesday. What if when you go back, you were like actually rested? And people say, man, that four-day weekend really did you well. You go, nah, I mean, that was nice. I'm glad it wasn't 1,000 degrees outside. I had some barbecue. It was good in America. But, but really, I mean, like, what if you go back to work on Tuesday and you're actually different? We started this series in 2021, if you can believe it. Pastor Mark actually was the first person to ever preach from this series for us. And, and I, was, I was going back and listening to some of the old messages, and I, I was reminded that Mark actually started this series by telling us about a bunch of people who said, I read the book of Ephesians, and it changed my life. Who just, like, I met Jesus reading the book of Ephesians. He told us about some evangelists, like world-renowned names of people. I just read Ephesians and it changed my life. And I just wonder if there's something here for you. Grace and peace to you and through you. And so on that note, we're going to do two things as we end our service today. Uh, I'm going to invite you to come up and take communion. John, will you come in and play for us for a few minutes? And I'm going to, I'm going to invite you to come and take communion. This is a, a, an ancient practice. I'm going to, as you're coming, I'll tell you a little bit about it. I'm going to invite you to come and grab, there's a cracker and, some, and a cup of juice. Come and grab one. If you're coming to represent a couple of people, come and grab what you can fit in your hands. Please don't spill it on the carpet on the way back, you know. <laughs> but grab it and go back to your seat. And I'm going to lead you through a moment of communion. And then I'm going to invite you to bless one another. To bless each other with grace and peace. So no Irish goodbyes at Life Church today. You cannot, leave, you cannot leave the room. Until, <laughs> please don't leave the room. Until you have blessed somebody. Until you have been blessed. R pro tip. If you're looking at someone and you don't know their name and you're about to bless them, ask their name. If that person lives with you, that's going to be awkward. Now now is as good, good a time as any to find out their name. Would you begin to come now? And as you're coming, um, I want to tell you a little bit about what this practice is about. As we come to receive communion, to step into a moment of receiving from Jesus his peace and his grace. I was thinking this morning about the way that Paul, actually, who we've been studying for so long in Ephesians, wrote to the church in Corinth in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. He's talking about the right way to take communion. And, and Paul writes this, as you're coming to take a cracker and a cup of juice, Paul would remind us on the night when Jesus was betrayed, the Lord took bread, and when he had given thanks, broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. 
do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, Jesus took the cup. After supper, they had a whole meal together. And at the end of the meal, he takes the cup and he says, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So, as you're coming to the table or as you've returned to your seat already, for those of us who are disciples of Jesus Christ, followers of the way, the cracker or the bread represents the body of Jesus, broken. Broken in order to heal our relationship with God. Eating in this moment reminds us of the work of Jesus to bring us into his kingdom. We eat because of the peace that he offers us. There's plenty of room right here on the other side, friends, if you want to not wait in such a long line. Uh, as we take the juice, in just a moment, we'll eat and drink both of these. But for disciples of Jesus, for followers of the way of Christ, the juice represents the blood of Christ, which sets up a whole new covenant, a new agreement between God and man. That our sins are forgiven, that we've been extended grace, and we can enjoy eternal life with God. The grace and the peace of Jesus. And so at your seat, I want to invite you over the next moment to eat. Would you eat now? And as you eat a, a cracker that is a representation of the body of Christ, would you eat and say thank you to the God who sent his son to be broken so that you could be made whole? Jesus says, we eat now. We are thankful for the peace that you extend to us with you. By your brokenness, we are healed. And Jesus, as we drink, we say thank you for your sacrifice, for your blood that was poured out, that you willingly went to the cross, your blood being shed so that we could receive life when we were dead. And as scripture teaches us that love covers a multitude of sins, that by your blood shed for us, our sins are covered by your saving, atoning sacrifice 
So would you say thank you to Jesus as you drink today? One more moment, if you haven't done this yet already, if you have eaten and drinking, would you, would you put in your own words a thank you to God? What does it mean to you to receive pause and remember the peace and the grace of Jesus extended to you. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, God. Thank you, Jesus. God, we are grateful for your body broken and your blood shed for us. We are thankful for the healing that you offer us relationally with you, for the grace extended. We are thankful for the peace given. God, we're thankful that you were broken so that we can be made whole and your blood shed out so that we can receive forgiveness of sins. We receive and we thank you. Now, I'm going to pray in just a moment as we wrap up our service. I, I, I'm, so, I'm, I'm pretty much done. I just want to pray for you in a second. But I think it would be good that I'm not the only one who ministers to you today. And So there's somebody sitting near you who's going to minister to you in just a moment. In fact, there's a very simple blessing that's going to be on the screen. And we just want to invite you to turn to a neighbor. And again, I, I, I said, if you don't know the name of the neighbor, you can just simply ask, hey, what's your name? Or you can say what your name is to the person who's about to bless you. And they're just going to look at you and just say this simple blessing. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, grace and peace to you. Now, I have a rule. You must say thank you. It's just rude if you don't, but, but more than that, it's a, it's a brilliant, powerful way for you to verbalize, I receive that blessing. I receive in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ grace and peace to me. I receive it. So you can say thank you. If you, if you don't want to say thank you, you want to say amen because that feels more comfortable to you, you can say amen. You can say, I receive that. But you respond verbally to the person who blesses you. And then once you've responded verbally to the person who blesses you, then turn right around and bless them. Say, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, grace and peace to you. And then they will say, I receive that. Or thank you or amen. Would you just take the next few moments and you can bless at least, the, at least one other person around you. Go ahead and minister blessing, grace and peace to a person next to you. This is powerful because you receive grace from the Lord. You give it to your neighbor.
God, you are so good. We are so thankful. We're so grateful for you. Even as we continue to bless one another, Lord, would you help us to honor your teachings in the letter to the church of Ephesus as it is a letter ultimately to all the churches. Help us to honor you in this way. Help us to keep our lives on the firm foundation that we stand on in Christ. Help us to build up and live in kingdom community. God, would you use our lives and use this church to be a blessing to your name and to this valley, proclaiming your death and resurrection until you come. And my friends, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, may you know the peace of Jesus which passes understanding. May you experience the grace of Jesus which offers forgiveness for and power over sin. May your life be marked by grace and peace. And may your life mark the world around you with grace and peace. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, amen. Amen.